Hi, and welcome to The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And this week we're going to be talking about the ways, oh, the ways, uh, in which Sarah and I escape capitalism. And uh, this and is, you can I know, too. Yeah, and you can too. Hopefully this will inspire you to have these conversations with the people around you. And if uh, someone you know, if you're on a date and you ask this question and the person has a terrible answer or can't answer, you know that they're not the one. Uh, but before we get uh, started into that, Sarah, what are you eating and what's eating you? Uh, once again, I am hearkening back to the time that I didn't, that I, the, the moments in my career that I spent um, as a lunch prep cook. Uh, and I had an iced coffee out of uh, a deli cup. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how you know, that's authentic kitchenware right there. That's the, that's the, the real bear experience is just go get some deli cups and drink all your beverage out of it. Uh, and then yeah. have someone yell at you in a hot room. You have just worked a dinner shift. Um, and, uh, What's eating me is the fact that I continually underestimate the amount of time I spend outside when I go do outside projects. And I've once again horribly sunburned my back. But I hand pulled because are, are you familiar with the plant, the thistle plant? I know of it, yes. Uh, better known as uh, the devil's switchtail. Uh, yes. It is uh, a terrible, invasive, underground spreading weed. And uh, the only way to get rid of it is to pull it all the way out by its roots. And I did that all day and it's super satisfying on the one hand, but it is backbreaking <laughs> hand <laughs> labor. It's I was awful. Say, it, it, it sounds like the sort of thing uh, that we normally uh, illegally allow people to immigrate into the country to do. Yeah. It reminds me of like feudal, like, you know, in Monty Python where they're like mud mm. farming it's yep. like you can't eat it, like you can't do anything with it. So you just like it just takes up carbon. So I put it in my composting towers and call it a day. You can use it to kill Norse gods, by the way. Oh, well, yeah. that just, explains why there's not any in or around my house, because there's thistle <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, there's a great, great story where uh, uh, where thistle is used as a, uh, as a weapon. Um, oh, and that, leads and is one of the first signs of, of Ragnarok, the end of the world. Uh, that makes sense because the only thing worse than green wet <clears throat> thistle is dry thistle where all of the thistle <laughs> prickers uh, break off and they just stick to you. Uh, so once when you pull out thistle, just put it wherever it's going to end up right then because it will be the least diabolical when it's wet. And it also like freaking sticks to yeah. all, like when it's dry, like sticks to all the clothing and socks yeah. and like little bits of it every, oh, it's hellish. It's yeah. hellish. It's a freaking worst. I yeah. hate it so much. So much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I literally got so mad about it, Matt, that I cut, like I have, my favorite yard tool is of course the Fisker 17 inch machete. Uh, and I cut a bunch of them off and then poured salt down the stocks because fuck them things. That's very Roman of you. Right? I'm I'm making sure that they can never come back and their children can't come back and their children's children can't come back. Uh, lest we say that, you know, we are not pacifists on that show. We are pro-gun control, <laughs> but also anti-thistle. Pro-salting thistle. Salt yes. the earth. Very specific small parts of the earth. <laughs> what about you, Matt? What are you eating and what's eating you? Uh, so this summer I have, um, been 
experimenting as always with making soups and stews we're trying to make summer soups and stews things that are appropriate weather appropriate Mm -hmm. so uh for any of you out there who throw away your bones and vegetable clippings like don't put them in the freezer right literally just like put bones in separate bags like for the different types of bones put the vegetable clippings one fun thing to do just toss them all in don't worry too much about them um, and then when you want to make stock, when you, when you're, when, when it's full, just dump them in a pot all together or in whatever ratios you want, uh, and boil the shit out of them for a while. Yes. And you will wind up with an amazing stock. And, um, I have not perfected the summer soup yet. Um, are you, is this a cold, is this a cold soup? Like, is this what we're talking about? Some are cold. Some are meant to be like consumed sort of lukewarmish. Okay. Sure. I'm with you. Yeah, and like not super heavy. So like okay. there's like a very classic Italian dish, um, which is like tortellini and brodo, which is like Ooh. tortellini in a broth, right? Ooh. So one of the simplest ways to make it better is simply to improve the broth or to improve the tortellini, right? I'm with so, you. So it's super simple peasant food. You can like grate cheese over it. Um, again, you can improve the cheese. So I've been working on having to make the perfect broth for that. Ooh. Yeah. Um, because, yeah exactly that you can have it chilled you can have it um, lukewarm you can have it hot however you want it um but uh it is light um uh, but still filling um and it's like super simple on those days you don't want like a big set of fireworks you yeah. just like want a nice hug from a friend now here uh, let me ask you a question matt is the mm-hmm. is your ideal broth in this situation is it heavy bodied does it have like a thickness to it or is it like a consomme kind of situation it depends so i would say that generally for like in for this particular dish i would make it lighter okay right? okay i would make it lighter you can make it heavier but that would be a little bit that would it would really depend on the tortellini you have so if you have like a if you have like a, a like a meat tortellini or something a little heavier, I like to go for the contrast of of a of a lighter broth. Mm. But if you have mm. like a vegetable or like a light cheese tortellini, mm. then you can make the broth more the star of the show. See, my thoughts here were, and we're just already off topic. We're <laughs> six minutes and twenty five seconds in, but uh, my thought here is, you know. You go with something that has a lot of connective tissue, right? Your mm-hmm. pork skin, your chicken feet, uh, and maybe like one or two like big old beef knuckle bones. Mm-hmm. But then you come in with a little bit of your dried fish, right? Like your mm-hmm. little bit of that umami in there. But then you cook it down. And when it gets down to that, like, not like kind of unset, but like thick, right? Like mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm seeing... Like a huge, instead of a, a tortellini in my mind, it's like a giant ravioli with like mm-hmm. a center press with filled with lemon ricotta. See, that sounds amazing. Because yeah, yeah, I would definitely think if you're going to have lemon ricotta, um, then yeah, I think that you can bring in a lot of body. Yeah. Uh, a lot of body there. Oh, do a basil yeah. oil and drizzle it over top. Mm-hmm. Fuck Perfect. See, this is why this type of cooking is so satisfying is mm-hmm. that like basically what I do is I make the stock and then I taste it and then it tells me where it's supposed to go. Beautiful. Right. It tells me what it's supposed to go with, how I'm supposed to season it. And that's just experience. That's just doing it a lot. And I'm improving over time uh, and working with different ingredients. So I'm saying that if you're not a baker, (laughs) um, I am a terrible baker and you like cooking where you don't have a lot of active time and you want to save money, this costs like basically nothing to do. 
um, it's a lovely way to make uh, the kind of food that people can feel the effort and the care uh, that you put into. The, the, the difference yeah. between your microwave ramen and the, the reason ramen's so good, uh, if you go head over to Old Strange Bird and get a bowl at Shoyu Shop, uh, that's because Kyle and company have been boiling that pot of stock ingredients for a cool 12 hours in a 22-quart stock pot, right? Like yes. The time, time is often what is missing from home cooks when people say, like, why is this so good? Well, like... The thing that chefs are actually really good at is uh, time management. That's like overwhelmingly what uh, line cooks are great at. So you're yeah. doing, you're you're essentially either finishing the parts of the the components of or twelve finished dishes like all at once, and so over those twelve hours while that soup's cooking, you're also you know cutting up noodles, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, project management. It's yes. not just for. Uh... Uh, boring office people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's eating me? Um, what's eating me is the idea that as shitty as the summer is and as ridiculously hot as the summer is, it's probably the least shitty and the least hot summer for the rest of our lives. Yeah, buddy. So uh, I've just been like soaking in that sense of despair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, steadily. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go more into it or else I will just, you know, spiral down into the pit of doom and never emerge. <laughs> I laugh so I don't cry. 2023, baby. Woohoo! The worst year <laughs> so far. <laughs> I'm going to feel that every fucking year. I think, I feel like after 2020, like every year just gets, oh, I actually say since 2016, each year just gets worse. Yeah, we're uh, we're really we're also like really entering into like uh, the let's get ready to rumble territory vis-a-vis -vis climate change. Like the ocean temperatures were reported at 101 degrees uh, over the weekend in South Florida. The ocean. That's the ocean. That's the yeah. ocean. That's oh, the God. lower temperature of my hot tub when I, I was going to say it tops out at 104 is what my hot tub for safety tops out at is 104 degrees and the ocean waters were 101 degrees has anybody tried uh traveling time traveling in it yet <laughs> um, um, my hot tub i don't think it's inflatable so i think at best you're getting back to like maybe 2018 uh, and like how much would it matter but imagine if you use the ocean because it's basically Ooh. a hot tub imagine how Ooh. far back you could go in that thing Boy. Yeah. Catchy mama. Yeah. <laughs> so as you can tell, um, you know, things not super great. I'm actually not saying this personally. I'm just saying this like sort of like <laughs> waves vaguely at everything. <laughs> so I know that you have, you know, we were talking before the show uh, about, you know, questions to ask on dates to try to like figure out if this person has the capacity to carry on an interesting conversation. <laughs> and Sarah, what was the what was the question that you, that you asked? <laughs> uh, my favorite top two questions are: What do you do? What do you do to survive capitalism? And what do you do to escape capitalism? So, what is your job? Which, like, is my way of getting people to talk about your job because it does take up you know a third of your life, but it doesn't. I don't want people to feel like I'm defining them by your job. What do mm -hmm. you do? Is such a stupid fucking question because it's yeah. like, well when and yeah for what reasons 
Yeah. Um, so we're going to focus on the second one of those questions because y'all know us well enough now to know what we do. Um, uh, just like in the to survive capitalism. But Sarah, what is one of your top answers for how do you escape capitalism? Foraging, man. You got to you got to go out there. You got to look at moss. You got to look at cool rocks. You got to go collect some cool rocks. You got to turn like my actual like socialist rant about this is this like nature is free and like nature is for everyone. And uh, you can learn so much and you can learn about history. And uh, the way I escape capitalism is by enjoying things that capitalism can't build, which is uh, Mm. national parks and city parks and um, just like green spaces, man. Like it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've always, I've always wondered, like, you know, in gift shops for parks and stuff, they have like the stones, like the yeah. rocks. I'm like, but why would I buy this here? <laughs> so I remember as a kid, like uh, when I would go hiking and stuff, uh, we would always have a contest with my friends about who could find the coolest rock. Beautiful. And part of it was finding the rock. The other part was storytelling, really <laughs> selling that rock. <laughs> Right. (laughs) But like, no matter what rock you buy in a gift shop, even if it is objectively more beautiful or whatever, it will never be as meaningful as the random ass rock that you picked up on your hike and put in your pocket and then tried to convince your friends was like the coolest rock ever. It was a rock that killed a dinosaur back in the day. (laughs) I I was going to say, I hope I hope you built in like a like a deep back narrative. And I'm really glad to know that you did that. Oh, uh, each one comes with its own story of, <laughs> of peril, adventure, and ultimate victory. Uh, to add to that also, um, like foraging is like my way of getting, like pulling one over on the man kind mm. of, it feels like. Um, like, ironically, morel mushrooms, chanterelles, like there are these like in- incredibly like high dollar mushrooms that exist, like that you can sell, right? So like... You can you can escape capitalism and engage with it all at the same time if you find like a nice big stash. But on the flip side, like something feels really subversive about taking a pound, a fifty dollar a pound mushroom, like going out, putting my fucking shoes on and putting my fucking knife in my pocket and stomping out into the woods and getting dirty and getting those fifty dollar a pound mushrooms and frying them in my home cast iron that, you know, like I'm going to give to my niece and nephew whoever wants it yeah but you know like there is something to me that like subverts that entire haves and have not system Mm -hmm. and i think that's why like i'm always i made the joke recently that my type is just eagle scout like if Mm -hmm. you're an eagle scout like you're automatically like through the first round but like there is something the idea of like knowledge about nature is free. Your local library is free. You can go rent all the naturalist books that you want. You can learn about all this stuff and then you can go out and feed yourself based on that knowledge. Right. And all that stuff really is beautiful to me. Like that's a really uh, beautiful use of free resources that exist because we live in a fucking society, but at least we get libraries out of it, you know? Yeah. I, I love this because like, first of all, if you're doing mushroom hunting for the first time, like, Go with someone Ooh. who knows what they're doing. Yeah, that mushrooms, helps. mushrooms especially. There's a uh, always want to repeat 
the the adage there are old mushroom hunters and there are bold mushroom hunters but there are no old bold mushroom hunters you really can die just yeah. die so make sure you're with someone who's experienced knows what they're doing and if you're not sure don't eat it don't that's eat like it. rule number one yeah but i remember uh there was a professor uh visiting professor from poland at uh at iu at indiana university and she just decided to go out mushroom hunting with their daughter one day she's like i saw all these amazing mushrooms what is wrong with you people you're just letting them sit there like and she's just like there's so many of them so apparently we americans uh we just leave hundreds thousands of dollars of mushrooms just banging around in plain view i do believe that actually yeah and like I like so, there's a road that I drive on quite often, and uh, in the summer I have discovered there are wild raspberry bushes. Yes, just on the side of the road, and much to my amazement, no one else seems to stop there and pick them. Yep, which is shocking to me because wild raspberries are incredible. Uh, they're like, also are, are, so I assume good. that they're black raspberries. Were they black? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, they are so good, and they're really uniquely black raspberries. Are I don't really know why they're not commercially successful. I don't. I guess like the yields are smaller or whatever, but they're really unique. So the um, red raspberries that you're used to, the texture that they have is kind of velvety, mm-hmm. whereas black raspberries have a outside texture that's a little bit closer to blackberries like it's shiny i was gonna say they're definitely glossier and firmer yeah and you can and they have um they just have a really unique blue raspberry it's it's the black currant blue raspberry sort of flavor that you're we're used to in candy exactly and like i've been i've gotten enough now i'm gonna bake with them like because they are nice and tart they are really exceptional and they're just beautiful and, like, I remember there was a time when I was in high school, I was uh, sea kayaking off the coast of Maine. And, you know, we brought all of our food and all that stuff. And But there was a one small island that we stopped at that just had wild strawberries on it. Ah. And it was, like, the most glorious hour of my life. Yeah. Uh, with my friends, like, in the summer, <laughs> we had just been kayaking all day. And then we sat down and for dessert of our dehydrated <sighs> food. But for dessert, we got fresh wild strawberries, and oh. I didn't really care how they tasted. <laughs> what I wanted was just, like, the joy yeah. of it. And yeah. by the way, they tasted amazing. It could have been that, like, I'd been eating, like, dehydrated mashed potatoes for, like, two days. <laughs> um, but, like, there's something about that also that, like, you can't – that hasn't been commodified. Yes. Right? Yeah. And the experience itself is not commodified. No one's recording it. No yeah. one's profiting off of it. No one is. We weren't. This was before, you know, Instagram, Facebook, social media. No one has their phone out taking pictures of it. We're literally just there under the moonlight on this island, yeah. <laughs> like eating wild strawberries. Uh, then one of my friends turned out had eaten his dehydrated mashed potatoes without rehydrating it. So we needed to make a barf. So like. He ruined oh. the beauty of the moment. Also hilarious, though. Uh, I mean, what, like, were they worried that he was going to, like, have, you know, Augustus Gloop syndrome with the potato yeah. flakes in his stomach? Exactly. Well, all right. Yeah. Or, at the very least, it can make you very dehydrated. Fair enough. 
Yeah, because uh, you rehydrate it with your body. <laughs> I, I would just chug water, but that's that's beside the point. Yeah. This is in the past. That is in the past. So he he's fine. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I think that this is the key of what we get to. We're all talking about things that either have not been commodified yet, or you can't really commodify. At yeah. least we are we are openly avoiding the commodification of them. <laughs> well, like, so over the weekend, uh, me and my friends went to go see Shakespeare in the park. Right. Mm. So the tickets for that are free. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a 501 C three that puts it on. It was brilliant. It was hilarious. It was, um, love's labor lost. And it was staged at like an insufferable white people yoga retreat, which is like <laughs> so fucking funny. And, um, you know, there, it was just like, it's, it's a comedy, right? It's a classic Shakespeare, silly, silly comedy, but, um, it was at this beautiful park um, at an amphitheater that they had just put in that my first thought, this is like the age that I'm at, like with this podcast is like, this is so wheelchair accessible. Like, this yeah. is amazing. Like huge wide ramps. Like, you know, you can get to all the tiers from the ramps. Like, it But was, that feels good. I like being yeah. in those spaces. Yeah, me too. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, I like being in spaces where everyone can be there. Yeah. Um and my friends and I all like uh, group texted like a full like eight course dinner. Just like, I'll bring this, I'll bring this, I'll bring this. And then when everybody rolled up with all their food, it was just like, behold, a bounty. <laughs> yes. But I mean, that feeds into. So um, I think it's funny when people ask me, like, what do you do as a childless person in your 30s? And I'm like, OK, listen, we had pasta night. Molly Hodge got a pasta roller and she looked up recipes where you can embed leaves and flowers into the pasta and then it comes out like floral printed and we made floral printed pasta and then we cut up the pasta and cooked it and said oh look yeah. look at it it's got flowers in it that's so cool that's what childless people do in our 30s we have pasta parties and they're great they are great and if you've never made fresh pasta it's so much fun it's great yeah it's not that hard <laughs> it's not that hard. Like it's shockingly easy to do. Don't expect it to come out your like your barilla. It's a totally different beast. Yeah. Like fresh or if you go to a restaurant that makes its own pasta fresh, don't expect it either. Like it doesn't take as long to cook, right? So it, it's entirely different. But it is joyful and there's so many easy ways to do it. Uh and I love this. I've never made it that way. I know it can be done. So I am super jealous. <laughs> I like um, when I do fresh pasta, though, like I think the best applications of fresh pasta are actually like the little guys like, you know, mm -hmm. like we're, you know, your your gnocchis or your raviolis like, you know, the 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 fresh made pasta really shines as a vehicle for other things. Agreed. And like one reason on cooking shows, you often see the chefs making gnocchi. Mm -hmm. uh, is because it's very easy. Yep, exactly. <laughs> they don't you have just, to roll it out. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. you just cut it with a knife into the right sizes and then drop <laughs> it in, and drop it in the water. Um, and uh, my my grandma used to say that with gnocchi, it's either gnocchi, which is amazing, or it's Chef Boyardee. Like it's either amazing or it's bad, <laughs> or right? just really... soft gloop. Exactly. So there's like no in between. <laughs> She's hundred well, percent right because yeah. <laughs> this this bring you know this is like one of those other things which is like if you can read you can cook and like mm -hmm. there is um you know again we're back to subversion of capitalism right like yes you can go out and pay two hundred dollars for the most amazing italian dinner or 
you can read this book, which will tell you how to make that exact same dinner for about $25, yeah. but it will take you 10 hours. Are you willing for yeah. to, to make this trade? So one of my, uh, one of my exes, um, uh, spent uh, several months in Italy working, uh, doing like uh, art restoration of cool. this old site. And she was also working at a like agritourism spot where she helped in the kitchen. And she wrote down all the recipes, took like made drawings of what everything was supposed to look like. Cause he never taught the chef didn't <laughs> teach her anything. He just like, you know, uh, just waved at her and made her learn just by doing. So she was like taking notes and making pictures as it went <laughs> and using that as sort of the reference as like a starting guide. I learned how to cook a lot of uh, uh, Italian food Cool. and adjusting over time. And I think one of the joys that you're saying about putting the time into that is that you learn basically the building blocks. Yeah. Right. You'll note like, oh, all of these sauces have this same like starting four steps or these Correct. eight or these eight ingredients that I use. Emulsification and when I, is a perfect example, right? Like all sauces require the emulsification of an oil with a water-based thing. How do we do it? Right? Yeah. How do we do it? Make sure it doesn't split. Make sure, yeah, it's the right consistency. And then it's a process of just doing it over and over and over again and trying slightly different things. Use different ingredients, uh, you know, use different oils. Um, cook it a little bit longer, cook it a little bit less, higher heat, lower heat, right? And what you'll learn is that you will, from this one starting spot, right, from this one starting dish, you will learn how to make 15, 20, 25 variations uh, of it, all of which are expressions of you and your experience with it. And you can share that with other, with other people, um, And it's that, I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, when they talk about like, what represents, I hate this in in cooking shows, what represents you on a plate or whatever? It's like, (laughs) there's no way to do that in one dish, Yeah, but you can reveal that over time uh, with your friends by sharing this process with them. And I would say that one of the things I do to escape capitalism, like, you know, the entire dating thing, go to restaurants, do other, you know, stuff that costs money. Yeah. I think one of the best things to do is just to cook with the other person. Yep. Um, and you learn a lot about how both of you handle adversity. <laughs> <laughs> because something will go wrong while you're cooking. Guaranteed, yes. And also, if they're able to like do the dance with you about uh, over control, yes. right? Because you will see if your approach to the dish is not a tug of war, but is instead a dance, a communication and a dialogue between yeah. you. And when, if and when that dish turns out badly, which if you do it enough times, it will. Do they have the sense of humor to like laugh, laugh about it? I was going to say when it, bouncing back from what it like, what ingredients you thought you had, but you didn't now, what are you going to do? Right? Like, uh, I'm sorry to, to tell on my sister like this, but, I think one of the one of my favorite examples of like figuring out somebody has rigid thinking is we were trying to make uh, my mom's famous Maxine's her restaurant chicken salad and it calls for a certain amount of honey mustard. We did not have honey mustard, but we did have honey and mustard. And uh, my sister was like, throw in the towel, can't make it, don't have the stuff. And I was like, well, we'll just make honey mustard with the honey and the mustard. And she said, how will we know what the correct proportions are? 
And I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> but like, you know, I learned a lot about my sister in that moment, right? Which is like, like she needs it to be like it is on in the book, please. Yep. Yep. Oh, that. Oh, that hurts a little bit, actually. It's fine. She's a doctor. It's fine. Sure She's she- a doctor. She's fine. I'm like, if you're a doctor, okay, I get that. Yeah. Um, but that's what I mean. Like for some people that they would totally vibe with that. Yeah. Right. They would totally vibe with that for other people. Not, not so much. And like, <laughs> that's what I mean that you learn, like you learn a little bit about going out to dinner with someone, how they yes. order, how they treat servers, stuff like that. So there are lessons there, but I have found that I learned so much more. I mean, one of the, like the, the relationship research shows that intimacy is, is grown through unstructured time. Yeah. Unstructured time with someone else. And Cooking is unstructured time. You're figuring it out as, as you go. And like, I have found that that is one of, I don't know. I think that it, it not only shows a lot, it's also sexy. It can be very sexy. Um, oh, yeah. And, and uh, at the same time, like for those of us who enjoy cooking um, or those of us who, who want to enjoy cooking, <laughs> but are, are not there yet, like, it also shows how people deal with different skill levels. Yeah. Um, are they good at listening? Are they good at communicating? I just think it's a great way to uh, not pay money and instead have the an experience with someone using the food as sort of the vehicle and the mechanism. Also, we love an excuse to look in somebody else's fridge and cabinets, you know? <laughs> uh you would also be shocked, or maybe not, Matt, but you would be shocked about how many men have a fully stocked kitchen and do not know where things are or, like, why they're there. Like, it was stocked either by a woman in a past relationship. Mm-hmm. And I find, like, to me, the ability to care for one's goddamn self, because mm-hmm. I am not your mother, is really central to my, like, would I like to fuck you in a long-term sense, you know? And I like cooking. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, one of the ways of speaking about cooking accoutrement, this is not an escape, but it's sort of a sidestep from capitalism, is to look for a kitchen accoutrement from Japan because they make a lot of things that are not disposable. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, like the can openers with, like, the twisty knob and everything, blah, 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 blah. They always break. They last a yeah. little while, then they break. <laughs> There is this Japanese hand can opener, which you have to like learn to make like a little like. I and I'm know. familiar. Yeah, cradling motion almost yep. with it, but it will last until like the heat death of the universe. Yeah. Right. Oh. And it costs like fifteen or twenty bucks, and you can use it forever. Like, go and get s- one. They're amazing. I was gonna say another way that I subvert capitalism and escape capitalism is uh, I buy all of my kitchen equipment, which is another way that I subvert capitalism cooking uh, secondhand. So all my cast iron, all of my uh, baking sheets, all of my everything, um, I get at Goodwill because people who don't cook, who you know, listen, don't get me wrong, I love my air fryer, but like if you're a dump a bag in an air fryer cook, right? Like you have no use for grandma's all clad copper pans. Yeah. But I do <laughs> give them to me. And you will find amazing stuff there. Like yeah. unbelievably great stuff. Um and like oh, and along those lines, for those guys who are still using disposable razors, what are you doing? 
Like, <laughs> you can buy a safety razor for like 20 bucks. Yeah. And you can buy a lifetime supply of uh, razor blades for like 30 bucks. Yep. I bought, I paid 20, I paid $50 total <laughs> for both the razor and the razor blades in 2012. Yep. And I still have. So I still have, I think I bought 15,000 razor blades. <laughs> I will die and still not have gone through for the, that many razor blades. Like I am set for life for razor blades and the, and the razor for $50. Like, yeah. And oh, the, that's... the razor, the razor is from Germany. The razor blades are from Thailand. I was going to say, pick pick one thing that is disposable and then just decide to make that. Mine is water. I uh-huh. refuse to drink water out of, like, plastic water bottles and will bring my obnoxious giant metal container everywhere that I go because plastic bottles are one of those things that make me irrationally angry. Like, mm-hmm. irrationally, <clears throat> if you are an adult... Who doesn't have kids? Like, if you have kids, like, I get it. Like, just fucking get a drink to them anyway. But if you're an adult who lives with other adults and you're buying cases of plastic bottles for you to drink fucking water out of, are you shitting me right now? Are you shitting me, you trash monster? (laughs) I mean, and the water bottles they make now are amazing. I know, yeah. like the reusable ones, yeah, like the the containers. You know, this one's had the same ice in it since like Saturday night. So the brand I like is again Japanese. It's called Takeya T A K E Y A, and what I like it, about them is they're stainless steel on the inside, so you can fill them with whatever you want, and with a quick rinse, then it's ready for water again. Perfect. So like, I've had hot chocolate in it. <laughs> and then all I had to do, I didn't have to use soap or anything. I literally just swirled water in it, dumped it yeah. out, poured water in it, and it tasted clear. Like it, it it feels like goddamn magic. <laughs> you know? And like now I'm like and it's like so much cheaper than like Yeti and all those other yeah. ones. Just like it doesn't come with all the branding. <laughs> it doesn't come oh. with all the, the the marketing. This is this is good. We can throw this on the list, which is like just refuse to engage with buzz marketing. Like refuse oh. to engage with hype marketing. Don't like. I, there are things like I will, I will buy a Yeti anything at Goodwill. Right, like mm-hmm. I'll buy it used secondhand. Fuck you and every single goddamn shitty ass little nag pony that you wrote in on. If you think I'm going to buy a hundred dollar fucking cooler, are you out of your fucking mind? When they are all, no one has figured out new cooler technology. They're all the exact same thing. It's a vacuum, like a gap. It's a vacuum sealed negative pressure gap between Mm -hmm. two layers of, right? Like. Yep. Same shit on a different day and it's the same yep. shit, but it's a different day and it's $50 more because you want to be <laughs> cool like Tom down the street, you know? Yeah. So one of my lawn econ profs made it very clear that if you have two products and one advertises and the other doesn't, the one that advertises it's the better value by definition cannot be because they have the extra cost of advertising. Correct. Right? 
So this is why I think sometimes this is why I really do think things like wire cutter and stuff are great. Yeah. Um, because they often find products or brands or stuff that I would not find through uh, because they don't advertise that much. Yep. Um, or they don't really advertise at all. Yep. Um, and 99% of the time they are not only the superior product, but they are also cheaper. Um, this is one way also that I fucking try to subvert capitalism is ignoring <laughs> pricing. <laughs> so a lot of places try to convince you that if something is priced higher, it's better. Oh yeah, of course. Classic. Yeah. Classic. And so there is a type of good called a Veblen good. And I think I've spoken about it on this show before, but a Veblen good is a good in which your enjoyment of it increases with how much you spend with it, spend for it. Okay. So like wine is a classic Veblen good. Okay. Right. That if you tell someone the wine they're consuming is more expensive, their enjoyment of it will go up. They will rate it higher. Heard. Right. So more things are Veblen goods than I think people realize. Like when I did tutoring, which sounds like it should not be a Veblen good. I found that people's satisfaction with my tutoring increased the more I charged them for it. Incredible. And I was doing nothing different. In fact, I was probably working less hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was crazy. Normally you think supply and demand, the higher your prices go, the harder you have to work, the less business you get. It was the exact opposite for me. The more I I charged, the more business I got, the higher my ratings went. Absolutely insane. Yep. So one thing I try to avoid is turning things into Veblen goods that are not Veblen goods. So this means doing fun things. This is a fun thing to do at a party, by the way. Do blind taste tests. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So I did a blind taste test with a bunch of people who all loved Tate's chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) And there are a bunch of Tate's imitators out there that are generally all cheaper. So I did a blind taste test with all of them. And Tate's was not the top on anyone's list. Yeah. The unanimous choice was the knockoff Trader Joe's imitation. (laughs) Across the board, everyone ranked it the highest. It was Uh, not close. And so doing fun things like that, to me, is like, first of all, if for other like-minded people, it's a fun experiment. Like you get to discover all these things. And on the other hand, you can be like, fuck your marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is why we say to uh patronize your local and independently owned like wine store. Those people who own those wine shops, uh they st- you know, they want to sell stuff, right? So like they want you to they they know people are going to go in and buy $20 wine. That's mostly what they want, right? So they're going to make sure it's good $20 wine. And, you know, you can ask them about like, hey, what's actually a really great value? Like, ah. you know what I mean? I love that phrase. Like, what what's the best value here? Because a lot of the time you'll find that the $20 wines are not all the same. Yep. That some regions are just always underrated, always undervalued because they're not like French or Italian yep. or whatever. So, yeah. The, and your local wine people, they're going to they're going to know and they'll start to learn your tastes. Yeah. Um, and I like that too, because like, they're not out there trying to, you know, become like wine.com. They're not trying <laughs> yeah. to, you know, yeah. like, you know, make it huge. They're just trying to fucking make a living. Yeah. Right. Um, so they're not going to 
they're not going to, they don't have to make their shareholders happy. (laughs) (laughs) They need to make you happy. (laughs) I also, um, I don't know if this technically counts, but um, like allowing people who are professionals and whatever they're professional in to be the professional. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like instead of asking, I understand when people roll their eyes at like no substitutions menus, but also it's really exciting to ask a server who's worked at a restaurant for 20 years. Like, I just want you to get me the best thing here. Like, you know, don't tell me, don't even tell me what it is. Just bring it. I trust you. Like had the best dinner of my entire life uh, at an independently owned restaurant, RIP Pock Pock in Portland, Oregon. But like, you know, those people had worked there for a long time. And like, if I'm going to spend money, I think the idea of letting somebody else who knows what's good guide my spending choices. That is, I love that, that matters. Yeah. I love that because then you also start to, you also give them a chance to be more than a cog in a machine. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Right. Like I was at this uh, coffee shop, this little um, uh, uh, Vietnamese coffee shop that I hadn't been, been to before in the village in the East village. And um, I did not, I am not a huge coffee connoisseur. But yeah. I knew it was hot as fuck, and I was going to be there long enough for two drinks and a pastry. Yeah. And the first drink I wanted to be refreshing and not caffeinated. Then I wanted to eat my pastry, and then I would need something significantly stronger and more caffeinated because then <laughs> I had a work event after. Yeah. So this is what I told her. These are the three things I want. I, You know them better than I do. I can't pronounce half the things on the menu. Can you yeah. get them for me? Yeah. And she said, yes. And then she rang them up. I did not know what they were. I paid. I sat down. And they came out in the order. And I could tell she was having a really great time. Yeah. And then also, she's like, oh, and I customized this one for you. I added a little bit. Like, she had like a little lavender blossom. And she was asking me how I liked the first one, which then adjusted the other things uh, that I had. And then she gave me her card. She's just like, come back. Um, I don't know if it was just about that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but like, it's also a way to then also have a conversation. Like, you're not just people having a transaction. Yes, yes. I think that's the biggest key. That to me, I think this yeah. is why this comes in. Because suddenly you are people uh, with a relationship, with a conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, as we continue our conversations about sort of rebelling against our seemingly inevitable AI future, like, I mean, I, I think that's, I used to wonder why, like, it's felt, it seemed like middle-aged people always wanted to, like, have random small talk in public. And I was just like, God, who cares? But then you realize that, like, if you don't do that, you sort of feel, like, disconnected from from a lot of people if you're not, like, you know making snide remarks in the bank line you know what i mean or whatever it is like <clears throat> i, I, I get of ai now. i had my first ai chatbot experience on a dating app oh no okay and i started having like uncanny valley bells coming off right away <laughs> and then and then this fucking amazing message i seldom use dating software give me your number Let's establish a long-term and stable relationship. <laughs> How do you think? <laughs> like, yeah, what? Swing and a miss, AI. Swing yeah. <laughs> and a miss on this one, I gotta say. Oh my god, is first of all, amazing. Like, nice try. I guess, like, 
if you want to try to get people automated, I guess. But like, this very much has like, hello, fellow humans. I mean, <laughs> how Matt, do you do? Once again, you have underestimated how lonely the average man is out in the world with his unwashed ass crack. Like these two <laughs> groups are made for each other. It's true. They can all date chatbots. <laughs> they can all date chatbots. Um, so let's say, uh, let's go for one more. One more thing before we wrap up that you, you have done this summer. Let's just say you have done this summer, this very summer to undermine, undercut, evade <laughs> capitalism. Uh, I would say... Um, it's the absolute weirdest text I've ever gotten in my life just now. Um, anyway, um, <clears throat> I think, you know, I'm back to, I'm back to public free resources, right? Like mm. I'm back to like going to the pool. Oh, you know what I will say? We'll combine, we'll, com we'll bring nature back into this, but like, um, me and this guy, we're just, we're having conversations about like, like service to others, like being in service to others. And like, uh, you can do that without it. You know, it's our, it's our ongoing conversations about like being in service to others without all the wailing and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't have to be like that. Like yeah. if you're really into <clears throat> building bikes, right? Like you're really into BMX bikes, right? You can go meet up with my friend, Tom Hanley, my landlord, and, you know, get hooked up volunteering for 913 sports, teach kids how to build bikes, right? Like, yeah. Whatever it is, there's something out there that you can do and share that passion with somebody and sort of ignite that fire in another person. And that's something that can't be like transferring human passion is something that can't happen through YouTube videos, right? Like you can learn to do the thing. That's cool. But like nothing will ever substitute for finding a sort of place of mentorship or like passing on your knowledge or passing on your passion in real life. And so like go out and find that stuff and do it. I worked at the community farm uh, and it was fucking awesome. And I got to hang out with a bunch of, with a bunch of youths. And I got to tell the youths how to tell youths. the difference between a, a weed and a real plant. And that's what we did all summer. It was lovely. <clears throat> that's awesome. That's funny because that weirdly jives with what I was, uh, what uh, my answer is, which is uh, make art with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And have sex with other people. Yes! Make art have sex with other people! Yeah, that, like, making art with other people doesn't cost anything. If whatever yeah. art you want to be, it can be the basic art of, like, drawing on pen and paper. It could be music. It, yeah. it could be hand claps. I don't care what it is. Whatever, you know, whatever gets you inspired. Um, and doing it with other people also makes it so much better. First of all, yeah. you're more likely to do it because you hold each other accountable. Yeah. And also they inspire you. Yeah. Right. You're not just in your head. And this is one thing. And reason I say other people with both of these is that I feel like one of the ways capitalism tries to exploit us is by isolating us. Yes. Intentionally from each 100%. other. hundred percent. Because you can't. <laughs> It's extremely difficult to commodify two people. It, well, it's impossible so far to commodify two people not recording, just two people making art together or having sex. 
right? That's not yes. commodified. <clears throat> yes. But if you're alone, like maybe to get that connection, you turn on a YouTube video or a tutorial on how to yeah. do something. Maybe you watch pornography, right? Yeah. Then those things, those are commodifiable. They yeah. can make a profit <clears throat> off yeah. of you doing those things yes. through the medium of the internet, which is why I'm saying specific, like try to spend more of your time with the things that you were doing alone. Yeah. Right. To do them with others. Oh my God. That was such a, so I got locked out of my Instagram like twice. So now I have three separate Instagrams. We'll deal with it later. But like <laughs> in that moment, I felt really disconnected from people. And I was like, mm -hmm. I felt a disproportionate amount of disconnection from people. Right. Like they weren't dead. I wasn't dead. Like we weren't like talking through the ghost realm or anything, but all of a sudden I felt like why do I feel so far from people? And it was like, oh, because you this is the only arena of this relationship that you have fostered it. And <clears throat> the last couple episodes, I've been talking about going out to dinner with my friend Anna. Like that was one of those things like I love it when people who do things adopt me and they're like, we're going to dinner. And I'm like, great. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you yeah. for taking the pressure off of like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and we have got we've had like the most awesome hangs. And I know so much about her. And like she has such an she's a really interesting, like deeply interesting person who has learned so much. And like, I don't know, I I that person was always out there just floating around. Right. And like, yes, we went and spent money at local businesses when we were hanging out, but I mean, you know, there are worse things to pay for in capitalism than, you know, Vietnamese summer rolls by a family owned restaurant. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and I'm just trying to do a lot more of that. Like the more you can connect with people, that's exactly it. Like you, you said it perfectly, which is capitalism wants you isolated so you can buy a sense of connectedness and connectedness is free. So yeah. Uh, it's, I understand it's, it, it is a little bit weird to make adult friends, but it's really not like everybody's trying to figure out how to make friends. And some, mm -hmm. if you're, if anyone's like me, they'll be really relieved when you're like, Hey, we should go get dinner and like be friends. It's like, Oh God, thank God. Oh my God. Thank you. Oh, that has 100% been my experience that every time it's like, let's hang out. People are like, Oh, thank you for making plans. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. Uh, and even if it's as simple as like, yo, uh, I'm making homemade pizza. Do you want yes. in? Like, yes. come on over. Um, have you tried soju? Drink some of the soju that I have left over. Like, see if you like it. Um, like, this is the number one thing I've really started to appreciate with having a little bit more time to focus on, like, developing my life. Yeah. Um, and being less career oriented was like how much money I was spending on things that previously in my life had been free. Yeah. And orienting my life. So instead of spending money on it, I spent time and focus yeah. because after spending money on it, I'd feel like shit. But after actually going out and doing the thing, I feel much, much better. Yeah. Um, and so, and this isn't even from a save, like, this is one life hack of like how to not like drain your bank account and retire early. Like <laughs> has nothing to do with that. It's everything with like what actually will make you happy, yeah, happy as a human being. Um, and like, I want, what I'm excited for is for the listeners out there, let us know, right? Let us know the things that you do to both survive and escape from capitalism. 
And if you're also bomb-throwing radicals like we are, bom- <laughs> metafo- metaphorical bombs. Yeah, um, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, let us know those things too, because like, you know, welcome to the resistance. We all, <laughs> uh, I, we all need to find each other. Could I, if I could plug like actual real subverting capitalism, financial advice, which is mm-hmm. unusual, but, um, I follow a woman whose, um, Instagram is V frugal Fox. V is her name. And she just talks openly about like, there is no amount of budgeting that will get you out of being fundamentally underpaid for your labor. Right. Like, but also, like, here are side gigs that we do that, like, got us out of our credit card debt or whatever. Like, like really, you know. And the other one is Pete the Planner. He's a local guy. Um, and he's kind of a unique case in that, like, his concept of financial freedom is time freedom. So, like, to me, that is a much more effective and useful way to think about money. If we have to mm-hmm. think about money, moving away from mindless accumulation of stuff, right? Like, so if you write into Pete the Planner and you're like, like Dave Ramsey's a psychopath who's just like, well, you should be at home in your one bedroom apartment and eat crackers until you're out of debt, right? Like Pete, on the other hand, is like, debt is part of life, but you should move towards only paying for your present and your future, which I really Mm -hmm. like that. But on the flip side, like Pete will also say, why do you have a four bedroom house if you have one kid, right? Like, is it to impress your neighbors? Is it to impress people at work? Okay. Well, that's fucking stupid. That is keeping yourself chained to a thing you don't need for people that you don't even see, but like an hour a day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But let's now talk about things that we do need. And one thing that I've (laughs) needed desperately in my life this summer and I've used is hot honey from metal honey. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's going on at Metal Honey this summer? Uh, Super fun stuff. We just put a new batch of, we're switching up our Burger Jam packaging. It's going to be uh, much, much smaller sizes now. Like Hoosiers are funny in that like they will not buy a new thing until there's like, you know, a table, like until the jar is empty. Right. And mm-hmm. I made them in these really tall jars that was very hard to get the last out of the bottom. So we're done with those jars. We're getting a little guys. You get your knife all the way in the bottom. Uh, so it goes, uh, General So style sauce that's out this summer. Um, and then there's uh, Satay Stinger, which is a Thai style peanut sauce. So all kinds of fun new stuff. Sign up for the Metal Honey Foods Tastemakers Club. That's $25 a quarter and you will get sent experimental products that you can vote and give us survey feedback on. And that's always so much fun because like you get to be on the cutting edge of the new flavors. And, you know, we're talking about before cooking with friends. You can be like, hey, this isn't available anywhere else. but. <laughs> I got and it. My, my friend Joe named So It Goes. He was like, oh my God. He was like, uh, it'd be funny if you named it So It Goes. And I was like, done. Thank you. That just saved me hours of brainstorming. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you might name the next hit Metal Honey Products Foods. And you can find all that stuff, of course, at metalhoney.com. All your purchases use the promo code PERPSTEW to get 10% off of orders over $25. Amazing. So go ahead and do that. Also, uh, Dolly Pop Gloss. Oh, yeah. Just for funsies, if you want some lip gloss, it's in the shape of pills. How fun is that? I might switch them all to being necklaces, and then you can take them off the necklace if you want to. But we'll see. That's neat. I like that idea because then it's just like functional and stylish at the same time. It's fun. Yeah. Super cool. (laughs) (laughs) So go support us. Uh, Help us with the first question here, how to survive. Uh, capitalism. <laughs> so uh, go to metalhoney.com and check out Dolly Pop Gloss and for all your lip gloss needs. 
<laughs> and as always, you can find us, uh, the Perpetual Stew, uh, on no longer Twitter, now X. <laughs> X? Okay. This is a whole other episode. Oh, dear <laughs> fucking God. Um, at Perp Stew. Um, I still haven't made a Threads account. We will. I will eventually. I haven't gotten there. So hold hold your freaking horses. Find us on Facebook. Um, but please like, subscribe, share, rate, leave a review. All of that helps. And uh, we're going to be doing an AMA in August uh, to end the summer. So please send those question in, questions in to us. If you want to share your stories about surviving and, and or undermining capitalism, please let us know those uh, <laughs> as well. <laughs> It'll be fun to share those on air. Uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. This has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.